Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. We're glad you've been able to tune in for the program. You can know God. In fact, I'm going to actually make the point you have to work really, really, really hard not to know God. You have to continually remind yourself, oh no, I'm not supposed to believe that. <laughs> when was the last time you went to church and heard a message about God? How many of us could confidently expound God's virtues? Now, if you're a believer, you may well be familiar with who God is, but if there are any areas of ignorance, well, let's just tackle them head on. Dr. Corbett is beginning a seven-part series on the subject you may not have heard preached on directly for a time. With the first in the series, let's join Dr. Corbett now for Introducing God. Let's pray as I kick off a new series called the God Series. So let's pray. Father, I pray that you would speak to us, help us to hear your voice. May we see things today with eyes that we, maybe some of us didn't even know we had. May we hear things today with ears that maybe we didn't realise we had. And today I pray that you would help me to become invisible and that Lord you would become very, very clear, very, very obvious. May people see you in their hearts today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so this is the, a new series I'm kicking off. It'll run through almost to the end of the year, the God series. And I hope to just cause us to stop and think about the God we're worshipping. My hero, F.W. Borum, said this toward the end of his life when he was in his 80s. He said, if he had his time over again, and this is someone who was regarded as one of the world's best preachers, Banner of Truth Trust, listed him as one of the 15 greatest preachers of all time. And that list includes people like the Apostle Paul. And F.W. Boreham said, if I had my time over again, I'm pretty sure I would change, not the way I preached, but what I preached more about. And he said, I would preach, if I had my time over again, I would preach more about God. Just talking about God, just revealing God, who he really is, what he's really like to people if I had my time over again. As you will hopefully see, some people have a concept of God that's so faulty, it's really faulty. And for many people, they either don't know otherwise or they ignore the truth and they exchange it for a lie. And the Bible actually says that that's what some people do. So this morning, I want to introduce you to God. God is someone that I don't think we should be flippant with. I don't think I ever refer to him as the old man upstairs or my mate. While I understand people who describe God as a friend, I get that. I don't want to make God sound like he's ordinary. Because he's not ordinary. And when I talk about knowing God, when I talk about the possibility that some would describe their connection, their relationship with God as a friendship, I don't want others to confuse that either and think, well, hang on, this is God we're talking about. Because you can know him. But the, the most common description of the relationship that people are to have with God is as a father. We sang about that this morning. I read it in, in Psalm 103 where it describes God in the Old Testament as someone who is like a father to those who 
know him and trust him. And here's the problem I've got in saying that. The problem is that for some people, the moment I say God is like a father, they go, oh, no thanks. I know what a father's like. And some of the movies that I think are maybe a little bit helpful at this point, one of my favourite, Matt Damon is one of my favourite actors. He's, nearly every movie he's made except about two have been really, really good. And one of his earliest ones that he wrote with Ben Affleck was called Goodwill Hunting. I've watched that so many times and Robin Williams starred in it as a, a man who was a, a psychologist who was broken in deep grief over the loss of his own wife and he was still processing this grief and this young boy by the name of Will is presented to him as sort of a last resort before they go, we, before the justice system says, if you can't help him, we're just going to lock him up because he's in and out of trouble all the time. And he is about the age of Will's father. And Will immediately sizes him up, if you've seen the movie, sizes him up and figures, yeah, I know what guys like you are like. I had a father. I know what, about your age. I know what guys are like, like you. And he just, he gives this guy all kinds of grief. And Will, who uh, uh, the, the psychologist played by Robin Williams, is, is there trying to figure out this kid. And this kid is incredibly smart. And at one point, he's frustrated because he just doesn't know how to get through to this young boy, Will. And he says to him, in a moment of just frustration, he says, let's just leave my office and go down for a walk down to the river. You might remember the scene. They, they go for a walk down to the river. And, and he says to Will, you're smart. You're a lot smarter than me. I, there's no way I know what you know. You, you have an, an amazing mind. It's incredible. But you don't know what I know. You don't know what love is. You don't know what it's like to not just hold someone, but to be intimate with someone. You don't know what it's like to walk down the streets of Paris with the one you love. And he, he begins to share some of his memories of his wife that he had. And it jolts Will. The next few scenes, we see the character played by Robin Williams go through the file of this kid, which for some reason he'd never looked through. And he starts to look through it and he sees the photos of the bruise marks, the scars, the cigarette burn marks all over this kid's body as a young boy. And how photos were taken throughout the years and how the, the bruising and the marking and the cutting from the lashings that his father gave him with an electrical cable, the marks on his back where his father butted his cigarette out on Will, the bruises in the stomach where his father kicked him down the stairs. And for some Somehow the lights went on for, the, for Robin Williams playing the psychologist. And he was able to put it together. And you might remember that scene where 
He has Will back in his office. And he doesn't sit down. He stands up, very unprofessional. And he goes toward Will. And Will begins to push him back. And he takes another step closer. And he says these words. It's not your fault. And Will says, I know. He says, no, you don't. (laughs) And he steps closer. And Will tries to push him away. And he says it again. It's not your fault. He says, I know, I know. He says, no, you don't. It's not your fault. And he takes another step closer. And Will bursts into tears. And Robin Williams hugs him and gives him what his father never gave him. And something broke. And he got it. This is what a dad is supposed to be like. Someone who loves you. Someone who cares for you. And over the course of this series, hopefully you're going to experience an embrace through this series. And if you've got a distorted picture of a father, hopefully you're going to see that God is not like that. He is a real father, a loving father. And for some people, the moment we start talking about God, they just wave their hand and go, no one can know if there's a God or what God's like. And for that, I say, rubbish. Rubbish. Billy Graham was asked once in a press conference when he arrived in some country to hold some meetings and Time magazine had just on the front cover of Time magazine that they had the heading God is dead and Billy Graham was asked at this press conference what do you have to say to Time magazine who said what you're doing is pointless because they say God is dead and he said he can't be I was just talking to him (laughs) you can know God in fact I'm going to actually make the point You have to work really, really, really hard not to know God. You have to continually remind yourself, oh no, I'm not supposed to believe that. (laughs) You have to, as the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, suppress the knowledge of the truth and that picture is a picture of a whopping great big beach ball and you're in a pool. And every time you say there is no God, you are pushing that beach ball down and you're trying to hold it down with all your might. And then just occasionally it gets very wearing and you just take your hands off for a break and up it comes again, there's God. You just can't deny him. And so it says in Romans chapter 1, picking up from verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Who's the them? Well, we're the them. You're the them. The person on your left is the them. 
What is known about God is plain. It is plain to all. It's plain to them. Romans says, because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes. Can I just point out the word visible doesn't mean doesn't exist. It just means you can't see it. That's all it means. It's not visible. It doesn't mean it's like translucent or whatever. It just means you're not, you know, like right now, our old drum kit is invisible to me. But if I take a few steps back and look behind this curtain, there it is. God's invisible attributes, namely, it says, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. And there are some things that some ideas of science, such as Darwinian evolution, just cannot explain. You ever tried to figure out how the butterfly evolved? You ever thought, what the heck? When a butterfly reproduces, does it produce butterflies? It produces what? Caterpillars. Can caterpillars mate? That's not a trick question. Well, maybe it is. Does anyone know the answer? Can caterpillars mate? No. A caterpillar cannot reproduce. So it has to go into a cocoon and become a butterfly in order to mate. Isn't that weird? Can you show me the linear path of evolution toward that? In fact, I'm not, that's not an original idea, by the way. There's an entire documentary made on the butterfly where they go, this is a mystery, but not to God. It shows the wonderment of God and his ability. Here's the thing about God. In every place, in every, among every people group, throughout every era of time, People have worshipped a deity, that is, a god. So when we use the word deity, we mean a god, whatever that god might be. This is rather odd, because some people have said the belief in God is a manufactured belief. It's a belief that some people have invented and others have picked up on, and that's the basis for it. But that flies in the face of the evidence. The evidence is... No matter where people are, no matter what time they lived, no matter what language they spoke or climate they lived in, they all worship God, a God at least. Now, I don't know, and I'm looking, maybe someone who's a little bit more au fait with um, articulation than me can tell me what the word is when you have two people using the same term but they mean two totally different things. I don't know what the word is for that. The only thing I can think of is it's like a shell game. You know a shell game where they have the, the shells or the, the cups and you have the thing? Where's Jenny Heifer? Is she here? Jenny Heifer did a shell game trick with the kids where she said, okay, figure out where the, sh where the marble is or whatever it was. Or what, what did she use, Kimmy? Was it a Maltese or what was it she used? Don't know. Well, I will say it marble. We'll have to ask Jenny afterwards. But 
And she, she was sneaky because what she, she did was she slid the marble off into her lap as she was sitting at the table and then said, okay, which, which one's the marble in? And she shuffled them around. Well, it wasn't in any of them. She tricked them, which is really cool. But for those sleight of hand magicians who can do that very quickly and get the thing back in under one of the cups and th there's a sense in which it looks like it's this but it's actually not and some people play that game with words so for example just because someone says to you oh you believe in God I believe in God yeah but my God's creator so is mine we must worship the same God here's the problem here's a prop that I brought it's called water you could say I believe in God you could say oh, I believe in God my God is creator well, so is my God where's your God my God's in heaven well my God is in this bottle that's it you see just because you ascribe the same references to something doesn't mean that we're talking about the same thing because the God that we worship is not a thing he's a person and just because some say yeah i believe god i believe he's the creator i believe he's my savior and we have all kinds of interactions with people who do that you, you will be very very frustrated when you talk with a jehovah's witness i i have jehovah's witness interactions in my within my broader family and it's very very frustrating because we use the same language we use words like savior we use words like sin we use words like heaven we use words like resurrection what was it? jesus and the apostle paul said in second corinthians chapter 11 be careful because many people are preaching a different jesus so it's really important that we understand exactly who we're talking about which is one of the reasons why what we're about to do over the next few weeks is so important. For example, if you said to a Hindu, do you believe in God? They go, oh yes. But you know, in Hinduism, there's even way different or divergent views about who is God? What's God like? For example, in Hinduism, there's this concept of Brahma, the supreme being. And... The supreme being, according to the Hindu Rig Veda, which is one of their sacred books, that all people came from a sacrificial, primordial, cosmic man called Purusha. P-U-R-U-S-H-A in English. And humankind was then from him as he was divided up. His arms were divided, his legs were divided, his chest and head were divided. And from his head came the first group of four people. These were called the priestly class of people, or the Indians used the word caste. Caste. And the second group of people came from his arms. Oh, by the way, the, the priests are known as Brahmins, from Brahma, Brahmins. The second group in, in Hinduism came from his arms, and these are the rulers or the warriors. In Hindi, the word uh, for ruler is, is Raj. So you, you will have heard that, Maharaja, you know, Supreme Lord, that kind of thing, Raj. And uh, they're known as 
the Rajanas or the Kshatriyas. Then from the midsection, Hindus believe, came the herders and merchant class. And then from the feet came the low class workers and servants. And these are known as Shudras. So this is even in Hinduism, but that's not the only view of God from Hinduism. Also in Hinduism, there's polytheism. In fact, no one can tell me precisely how many gods there are in Hinduism. But the count that I've heard is somewhere around 380 million different gods. And then there's another type of Hinduism that's called pantheism. And pan means, you know, like when you pan the horizon or panorama, it means pantheism. You'll notice the word theism is the Greek word for God. It's, pantheism is that God is in everything. And if you want to know what pantheism looks like, just watch Star Wars. They call that God the what? The Force. It's in everything. And then if you've ever had the guys with the black ties and the white shirts, usually short sleeve shirts, and the black and white name tags, knock at your door, the police. We have uh, different people knocking at our doors, I think. <laughs> the Mormons, they claim that God, in a bizarre fashion, Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, Somehow, I don't know how he gets it, but the original God was Adam. And Adam is also known as Elohim, which is a biblical word, but Elohim. And, and he taught this, that God was once a man on another planet before being exalted to Godhead. And if you want the reference in the, the Latter-day Saints, which is the the term for Mormonism, I can give that to you. But they teach that God was once a man. Not only that, they also teach that any man, any man, can also attain Godhood and have his own planet and as many wives as he wants in the celestial kingdom. It's, a, it's uncanny how similar, in fact, I'm struggling to find the dissimilarities between Mormonism and Islam. So this, this idea from Mormonism and even Hinduism, they're just two examples of different views of God. And then, of course, you've got this whole idea that started in the Garden of Eden when Satan came to Eve, the first woman, and said, Has God said? And the, the exchange was um, where Satan, in the form of the serpent, says, why don't you eat of this fruit? Well, God has said we're not to eat of it or touch it. And the serpent says, God has said that because he knows. The day you eat of that fruit, you will become like God. And so we, we read here, But the serpent said to the woman, You'll surely not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened which is really weird because their eyes were actually closed when she did. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So there's this, this quest 
that Satan wants all people to embark on. And it's this quest to worship anyone, anything, any idea other than the true God. And I'm pretty sure Satan doesn't care what you call your God, as long as it's not the real God, he's happy. And this is what we see in the Garden of Eden. And there's a word for this, and the word for worshipping anything other than the true God is the word idolatry. So idolatry is the worship and adoration of anything other than the true God. And the part of the big deal here is that you will worship. You will. You see people worshipping all the time. You see people who are blind. They go around, they put stickers on their car like I barrack for Port Adelaide. Not that they're worshipping, but anyway. I got one that says Geelong. Greatest football team in the galactic universe. No, I haven't really. But you see people who are so besotted with their God, it becomes obvious. All they can do is talk about it. You know, like some people worship fly fishing. I just figured since I'd offended someone on this side of the building, I should offend a few over this side just to balance it out. So idolatry, worshipping anything other than the real God. And here's an uncanny thing about idolatry, and you'll find this throughout Scripture. Wherever idolatry is practiced, sexual perversion is also practiced in with it. It's an uncanny link. For example, we read in 1 Kings chapter 15 and verse 12, where it says, He put away the male cult prostitutes out of the land and removed all the idols that his father had made. So there's... And, and, and on and on and on we go. We can see the, the idolatry of Baalism where they, they would set up phallic symbols out in the paddocks and take temple prostitutes, either male or female, and do whatever they do in front of those symbols in the hope, in the belief that by satisfying the Baal idol, they would have bountiful crops. So there's a link between idolatry and sexual perversion. And I'm going to suggest that we live in, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of easy when you go to India to see idols everywhere. It's not as obvious when you're in Australia, but you can see the fruit of it. You see sexual perversion all through our culture, which tells you, boy, we're an idolatrous culture. It doesn't have to be a statue people bow down to. It could be a God they've created up here. And here's the, one of the most insidious forms of idolatry. In fact, I think all idolatry is basically this. It's when you make yourself the supreme being. And that was the lie of Satan, wasn't it? You will become like God. It's the supreme being. And here's what I heard someone say, because if you're wondering, gee, have, have, have I done that? Have I, have I made myself the supreme being in my world, in my life? Or is God, the real God, the true God, is he the one who is the God of my life? How can you tell? Well, here's how you can tell. If your God never disagrees with you, chances are you are your God. Oh, sorry, 
let me I actually set this up. If your God never disagrees with you, chances are your God is you. <laughs> That's how you can tell. If your God never challenges you, always gives you what you want, or so you think, chances are your God is you. The early Christians, early chapters of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15, they, they recognise the danger of worshipping anything, anyone else other than God. And this is what they warned people who were not Jewish. They, they said this, who'd converted to Christianity. They said this, but should write to them, this is the decision they made, that they didn't have to become Jews. This is what they said. They should abstain from things polluted by idols. What does that mean? Well, in those days, sometimes animals were sacrificed to idols and they had the stamp of the idol put on the meat and they weren't to enter into that kind of idol worship in that sense. And from, notice the second thing linked to idolatry, sexual immorality. That's all we have time for tonight. For a CD copy or premium download of tonight's discussion, please go to our website, findingtruthmatters.org, and select the God Series Part 1 from our online store. As we've heard tonight in every era in history, people have worshipped a deity or a god of some description. Contrary to some popular thinking, not all gods are the same. And as the series unfolds, God's uniqueness will become increasingly apparent to you. More from Dr. Corbett next week with The God Revealed. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to having you join us again same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.